A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. I am so glad you could join me today. And wow, what a weekend. Oh, no, I'm not talking about the Supreme Court thing. You know, right? They they kicked the can down the road. They said, Texas, sorry, but we're not going to uh, hear your lawsuit alleging uh, electoral fraud. And uh, I, I don't know that I was really surprised. I know it got a lot of people's attention, but <clears throat> now... You know, the, the question is, okay, today is Monday, the the 14th of December, and that means that uh, the electors are going to be meeting to cast the uh, votes in the Electoral College. Now, we still have the certification of the vote, which takes place, I believe, on January 6th. And I know right now there's there are equal parts of, uh, you know, frustration and anger and gloating and taunting that are going on between the various uh, political factions. And, you know, on the, on the one hand, I, I just, I don't know how to make this clear. Uh, someone had asked me for my reaction, you know, to the Supreme Court's refusal to hear that lawsuit last week. And my reply was, no matter the outcome, <clears throat> I'm not going to change how I live my life. I'm not surprised, you know, to, to see the Supreme Court um, sidestep this. You know, they feel safest when it comes to dictating things that have to do with, you know, what is marriage and what, what is, uh, what, how, how far does the right to an abortion extend? They'd rather stick with safe topics like this than something that, uh, no matter how they rule, is going to disenfranchise roughly half the country. But one of the things that I have heard expressed that uh, that I'm going to tackle today, and I'm, I'm going to warn you right up front, you're going to hear some pretty incendiary stuff here. Not all of it is, is from me, but <clears throat> I found what I think may be one of the most accurate and, and scariest takes that I have seen on the 2020 election. And if you still believe that uh, the frustration being expressed by millions of Americans over that election is just a matter of, well, my candidate didn't get elected. You need to think again and leave it to someone who is actually standing outside of the country. In this case, case it's a, a Brit by the name of Paul Weston who summarizes what's really at stake. Now, this was published on a, on a blog called uh, Bayou Renaissance Man. Um, I don't know who the guy is who holds this, who runs this blog, but he quotes extensively from a video done by a prolific commentator from Great Britain by the name of Paul Weston. I don't know much about him, and I so I I don't have any kind of bias to bring into. Well, that guy's a charlatan. He's a spittle flinger. Whatever. No, I know that he's been a very prolific commenter for many years on conservative causes. Um, I know there are people who don't agree with what they term his relatively far right wing perspectives. But I want you to hear what he has to say and either accept it or reject it on rational argument. Just does it make sense what he's saying? And in this case, I think the guy actually has a pretty powerful case to make. And I think he's probably more right 
than wrong. And this is his take on the 2020 election and and the, the fallout and the division that you are seeing that follows it. Now, this is just a, this is some excerpts here. The full transcript is, is uh, linked within this column. Also, the video, if you want to watch the video itself. But he says, if this gross subversion of democracy is not dealt with in a satisfactory manner by the lawyers, then he says, I see no reason, nor reason at all, why America should not descend into violence and potential civil war in the worst-case scenario. Or simply lose all confidence in any future elections as a best-case scenario, which can only and inexorably lead to the worst-case scenario again. He says, young left-wing Americans will consider such a viewpoint insane, but young left-wing Americans know little of the brutality of the non-democratic parts of the world and little about just why that brutality never encroached upon their decadent lives. They know nothing about Nazism, fascism, socialism, or communism. Indeed, they believe President Trump and the people who admire and respect Trump are Nazis and fascists all, whilst they believe socialism and communism to be pure and good. And he says this type of brainwashed ignorance is extraordinarily dangerous in a people of any country. Because no matter their ignorance and no matter how wrong they are, they truly believe they are standing up for what is good, for what is right, and for what is moral. And because they feel that they and they alone hold the moral high ground, then all who oppose them are not just wrong, they are evil. And when it comes to evil and the defeat of evil, well, then the ends justify the means. Just as so many people amongst so many previous generations have similarly believed, which is why the history book of the world is a history book of war, horror, and atrocity. He says, in their hazy, fuddled, naive, closed-minded thinking, they feel there will be no real-world consequences resulting from their action, but their naivete is dangerously unlike the pragmatism of revolutionaries in the brutal and undemocratic parts of the world who know full well that if they fail in their coup, they will be killed, and if they win, they will do the killing. Destroying the democratic foundations of America will certainly have real-world consequences. When Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016, the far left cried Russian collusion and displayed their visceral hatred across the entire left-wing spectrum. But their anger wasn't based on the undermining of democracy. Their anger was merely that of the petulant, spoiled child denied a shiny bauble. Their anger was lukewarm, false, unjustifiable. Their anger was mere political posturing, and they now think the anger of Trump supporters is the same, mere political posturing. But how wrong they are, how dangerously wrong they are. The anger of Trump supporters is white hot. It is incendiary, it is real, and it is entirely, imminently justifiable, and it is not the anger of the loser. It is the anger of the wronged, and it is about so much more than Trump. This is about the democratic future of the United States of America. And he says, when a country reaches the point of such legal corruption and such moral degeneracy that democracy can be overturned in full view of a complicit and unquestioning media and liberal establishment, there is very little guarantee that democracy will ever recover. This, he says, is why anger is at a boiling point, and even now, the left cannot understand what they have done. 
He says the trouble with the left wing, especially the young and cosseted who have never experienced the horrors of war, is that they don't understand the importance of democracy and thus they cannot appreciate the volcanic anger amongst those who would peacefully yet unhappily accept a fair political defeat, but who will never accept defeat if it comes from the grinding jackboot of a subverted democracy. He says, I don't need to spell out the numbers of Americans with guns, but I do need, apparently, to point out that the anger of millions of armed Americans is being stoked to stratospherically dangerous levels, and that these angry people are justifiably enraged. He says, many of you watching this video will hear my words resonate with your thoughts. Many supporters of the Second Amendment will right now be saying that the main overriding reason for the Second Amendment is not to shoot deer, but to defend America against a tyrannical government. He says, perhaps now is a good moment to say that in times of war, our dead soldiers are always politely remembered for having died in the defense of democracy. But the dying part was never their intention. Their intention was to very impolitely kill the aggressors who wanted to impose a tyranny upon them. And here we are today, in late 2020, looking at a scenario which consists of a tyrannical coup d'etat in the face of a hundred million armed and angry Americans who are convinced... Their democratic rights have been trampled upon and subverted. Now, he says, I hope and pray this will be resolved by the legal process. But he says, I implore the Democrats, the left-wingers, the socialists, and the communists to stop pretending that what you have done is acceptable. It's not. And the consequences could be catastrophic for you and for America and for the world. Pretty strong stuff, huh? I know. It makes me uncomfortable, too. And what makes me uncomfortable is there is a ring of truth to what he is saying. The anger that you see people expressing, the doubts and, you know, the concerns that that you see playing out on social media, they are not the product of a bunch of frenzied minds who are just caught up in conspiracy theories and just can't accept that this election didn't go their way. There was always the possibility the election wouldn't go your way. But when it doesn't go your way, and there is very clearly questionable stuff that has been taking place, the kicking out of, you know, the observers, the the putting cardboard over the windows, boxes of what appear to be ballots magically appearing, there's the appearance of impropriety, and these are things that deserve answers. And you would think, if everything is on the up and up, the side that won would want to make most sure that it was being investigated so they could be vindicated. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I know, you're probably thinking, Brian, are you nuts sharing this guy's commentary, this Paul Weston that sounds as incendiary as anything that, uh, you know, Antifa or, you know, the, the most hardcore Proud Boys are doing. Which, by the way, I guess it was quite the brawl out there in the streets of Washington, D.C. over the weekend. But I think this is a perspective that really needs to be considered. And whoever it is who runs the uh, Bayou Renaissance Man uh, blog, he says there's there's more at the link. And again, I'm going to have this linked in the show notes, which you can check out at com. But he says, the only thing I would add to Mr. Weston's comments is that this doesn't just concern President Trump supporters. And this is the part that people need to get their minds around. 
He says, let me be clear. I don't like President Trump's apparent personality or the way he expresses himself. For heaven's sakes, can someone stop him posting those inanities on Twitter? Nevertheless, he says, I think his policies have been on the whole good for America. Better, in fact, than those of past the past several presidents. He says, I support him not because he's a Republican or because he's Trump, but for that specific reason. The policies have actually been better for this country. He says, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or extreme right wing or extreme left wing in my politics. I guess I'm a conservative centrist. If anything, the term classical liberal might describe me. I vote for the person, not the party. And the person I vote for has to support and implement policies that I think are good for this country as I see it. So he says, President Trump happens to be the best available option at the present time. If there were a better one, I'd vote for him or her, irrespective of their political party. He says, I think many of those outraged by the shenanigans exposed in the 2020 presidential election are in the same position. We aren't Republicans. We aren't hardline conservatives. What we are is Americans who support the vision of our founding fathers, who value the Constitution as the bedrock of our nation, and who refuse to be overwhelmed by artificially and sometimes illegally engineered elections steamrollered by billionaires who don't share our loyalty to our country. It's the latter that makes us so angry. This is our country. And we won't allow it to be stolen from us. If your opponents want to make the same claim, there's a simple litmus test. What have they done? What have they sacrificed to serve our country? Now, if the answer is nothing, then I think they've surrendered any claim they may have had on this nation. And by the way, he clarifies in the comments of this story, he doesn't just mean people who've joined the military or people who've served in you know public service or law enforcement. So it's a fair question. What have they sacrificed? What have they done to serve the country? He says, if the left had won this election by legal and above board means, we'd have accepted that as the will of the people. Or at least he says, I certainly would have. However, the attempted theft of this election by the progressive left, so abundantly demonstrated in recent weeks, will not be allowed to stand. That's our bottom line. One way or another, it must and will be stopped, and that's why Mr. Weston's warnings may become grim reality. Now, he quotes another blogger who goes by Aesop, who says, None of this electoral fraud has been debunked. No matter how many times the lying SOBs at Communist News Network at all keep repeating the big lie and trying to gaslight the entire country on the real score when they talk about it at all. Because there is no explanation except to acknowledge that election fraud and stealing, not on an industrial age scale, but on an information age scale, took place in plain sight on election night and for days afterwards. Cheered on and abetted by an anti-Trump and pro-communist media, exactly as described by the president. And just as anyone with two brain cells has seen with their own lying eyes. Now, he harkens back to a memory here of Bundy Ranch and says, People were, re- were willing to shoot federal agents over one old thieving geezer's rangeland grazing fee thefts in Nevada. Okay, he's got some facts wrong there, but the point is people were willing to come forward and willing to confront federal agents with armed force. That he's correct. They were one wonky trigger spring from opening the ball, and that was years ago. And this commentator says, everybody that thinks 70 million people now who know in their bones they've been cheated of a landslide election victory 
are going to roll over for wholesale presidential election theft and do nothing? Signify that by standing on your head. So he says, let's forget that line of appeasement horse crap and get down to dirty business. Now, I don't think he's calling to, you know, get out there and be violent in the streets. But the bottom line is, this is not something that people are going to roll over and just meekly accept. And if that sounds too revolutionary or too militant, I don't know what to tell you. Because it's just, it's the way it is. It's not a matter of, well, Donald Trump didn't get elected and he's the one who was going to save us. I know people who are are <laughs> hardy enough Trump fans, and I mean like real true believers. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them don't end their prayers in Trump's name. I'm not one of those people. But I'm equally concerned as they are with what has been playing out. And it's mainly because the, the appearance of serious, systemic impropriety it looks like it's there. I mean, the, look, Mitt Romney, among others, who was it? Uh, our, the lieutenant governor in my home state of Utah, Spencer Cox. Well, I haven't seen any evidence of uh, voter fraud. Which begs the question, how much looking have you done? How much investigating have you done? How much evidence have you handled? There's an awful lot of sworn affidavits, which, if you don't know that carries the, the potential of landing your butt in jail if you are found to be lying or perjuring yourself. Someone who signs a sworn affidavit is not just casually saying, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think so. I think that's what happened. They're, they're putting their neck on the line. And it may be that what they think they saw or what they experienced doesn't add up to you know, the, the level of crime or, or wrongdoing. But when you have thousands of people that have stepped forward and I think shown enough smoke to justify, maybe we should look around to see if something's on fire here. But instead we get this gaslighting. Oh, you, you're sore losers. You guys just, you're not happy with the way it came out. Again, it's not about Donald Trump has to be president because he's the only one. It's about How dare you try to subvert our system of governance right in front of our eyes and then tell us, well, this is what you wanted. And to suggest that, well, because we were able to seize control by any means necessary, now we get to tell you what to do. Oh, look, we're going to start with some executive orders and, you know, do what we can to make it very difficult for you to own guns or to to uh, do business, to go somewhere without wearing a face mask, whatever it may be. We are going to bend you to our will. Yeah, I think I see a collision coming. And it's a head-on collision at about 120 miles an hour. I don't think this is going to end well. So what's the solution? What do you do? It's funny, one of my friends, uh, and I thank you, John. You are you may be an attorney, but you are a good friend and that you will always, you know, hold my feet to the fire and, and ask. And one of the things he asked is, so did the Supreme Court get it wrong, Brian? Did it? And my answer was, well, I don't think they could have gotten it right for at least half the country. I mean, there's no way. They, they would have angered and they would have disenfranchised half the country. So I think they kicked the can down the road knowing that it was really a no-win situation for them. But in so doing, they also clearly gave the message that the rules do not matter. If states can abandon their own written laws 
governing how elections are to be handled, then it's pretty clear the the Supreme Court has affirmed the rules really don't matter that much. And if the rules don't matter that much, well, then I guess I'm not bound by them either. Meaning you can impose whatever, you know, uh, executive orders or whatever other things you think you want to impose on me. But I'm not going to obey. After all, the rules, they don't really matter that much, right? Besides, regardless of who's in the White House, I never for a moment intended to let that affect how I live my life. And frankly, you shouldn't let it affect you either. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. I feel like that was almost a semi-epic rant that got me going in the uh, first half of this hour. But it's been on my mind, and so I feel better for having shared it with you. And, and really, sincerely, I didn't do so with the hopes that I uh, hope this gets you wound up tighter than a watch spring and, you know, makes you alarmed. I don't I don't want to add to whatever anxiety and whatever stress you're already carrying. It's not been an easy year, but I think it's essential that people understand this is not just about a bunch of Trump dead-enders refusing to accept reality. Because the reality... That, uh, that people like myself are refusing to accept is that someone can engage in fraud or deception and get away with it simply by assuring us, well, <laughs> I guess, you know, you just have to suck it up, buttercup. If their plans are to, uh, you know, to, to impose tyranny on me, they will not like the response. I don't say that as just one individual who's being stubborn here. I say that as someone who is absolutely committed to the ideals of liberty and to the ideas of self-determination. And I absolutely will not give up such things and go quietly into the gulag, which, you know, would have sounded like an exaggeration, you know, even just a couple of years ago. But no, there are people who are openly talking about, we need to make lists. We got to have lists and we got to re-educate these people. we got to show them the correct way or otherwise remove them from society. Where have we heard that kind of talk before? Good heavens. It's only been about 80 years, but uh, here they are back uh, thinking they can reshape the world. It's a reminder, I guess, that, look, every one of us has a choice. And I know that the, the people who are most obsessed with the, with the political goings-on tend to be some of the most unhappy people in the sense that they feel like, oh, I'm powerless and things are out of my control. And I, and I can tell you from personal experience, if that's what you're focused on, you better believe that's how you're going to feel. On the other hand, there's a lot more to life than just that political aspect. I got to tell you, I talked to so many people over this week, and I had the chance to travel to southern Utah, connect up with some old friends, connect up with some new friends. And over and over... One of the messages that I am hearing from people who are, I believe, living good, productive, meaningful lives, I'm not hearing from them their concern over, oh, my candidate, oh, what can we do politically? I'm hearing things about what they are doing within their own 
realm, their own circle of influence. It could be their family. It could be within their business or just within their community to make the world a better place. And I'm happy to report they're succeeding. Yeah, it's not the lead story on all the networks tonight, and it's not, you know, burning up the internet and social media. Because it looks a lot more like normal life, you know, than, than most people are, are, you know, willing to admit. But they're making a huge difference just by being people of high character. And, and here's the thing that really blew me away. This is the part that touches my heart. I'm shocked at the number of people that I am encountering who are feeling what, what they describe, their words, as a call like a legit calling to step up and make their voices heard. Not for some self-serving purpose, not to aggrandize themselves or, you know, to, to build, you know, this, this personal monument of fame and fortune. But because there is a need for their voice to proclaim truth, to, to, to heal the, the sick, to, to liberate the captive to comfort the people who are mourning. That's what they feel, and that's what they're acting on. And I don't think it's a coincidence. In fact, I'm, I'm, I would bet, I would be willing to actually put like money down, what little I have in my pocket here, that the reason you listen to this program or even consider listening to this program is that at some level you feel in your soul a similar dynamic that moves you towards being a person who isn't just supposed to sit back and passively passively absorb whatever life is throwing at you, but you're supposed to do something. And it's different from person to person. I'm not here to give you your marching orders, but I definitely am here to affirm that you do have something to do. And it's essential that you do it. And it starts with figuring out what it is and then taking those first steps on your own volition, finding the courage to make your feet move. Because something else that I've heard from those who feel that sense of calling is to a person, they've commented that at some level, it scares the hell out of them. That's how you know it's legit. (laughs) If it's not scaring you, it's probably not the right thing. All right. I'll quit being cryptic. I did want to share with you a commentary from Caitlin Johnstone. Listen to this headline. You have no obligation to conform to a wildly sick society. Now, some people are going to think, why, that's so arrogant. How dare you presume that the rest of society is sick and you are not. But I I, want to blunt that criticism, first of all, by acknowledging that really the big divide between us is not red versus blue, conservative versus liberal. It's the individual versus the collective. And the collective is always trying, just like the Borg from Star Trek, to assimilate the individual and bend them to their will. And you do not have an obligation to conform to that Borg-like mentality, especially if the Borg is sick. Why? Because your conscience is a purely individual thing. And your conscience is the only thing that will accompany you throughout your life. It will be your companion, although a lot of people get pretty good at putting their conscience way at the back of the bus, so to speak. And when your life has ended, it is your conscience 
that will accompany you into whatever it is that follows. So you might want to be on good terms with your conscience. And keep in mind that if, if you're in the habit of surrendering your conscience for the sake of approval from everybody else, you might win their approval, but you'll do so at the cost of hating yourself. That's a pretty big price to pay. Caitlin Johnstone says, You have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a Russian propagandist for criticizing the most powerful and destructive institutions on earth. You have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a Chinese propagandist for advocating peace and detente instead of loyalty to the continual unipolar domination of a sociopathic global empire at all cost. You have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a dictator apologist any time you oppose murderous interventionism and the lies which are universally used to manufacture support for it. She says you have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a crazy conspiracy theorist for believing the plutocratic media distorts the truth to protect the interests of the plutocratic class. You have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a deranged extremist for saying the system which has marched our species to the brink of extinction is not working. You have no obligation to conform to a society which brands you a freak and an outcast for saying everyone should be given what they need in a world of plenty instead of letting people die while elite predators hoard more than they need. You have no obligation to conform to a society where you're branded a dangerous radical for saying that black and indigenous lives matter and police funding should be rerouted to programs which actually work. She says you have no obligation to conform to a society where you're branded a misandrist bitch for saying rape culture is a problem and more consciousness needs to be brought to the power dynamics of gender. You have no obligation to conform to a society where you are branded a loser for choosing to heal your psychological wounds and bring consciousness to your inner processes instead of spreading your mental demons around the world in search of conquest and dominion. You have no obligation to conform to a society which turns its back on gentleness, on kindness, on understanding, on deep listening, and stands with greed, violence, oppression, exploitation, and a rat race where you must step on your neighbor's head to keep your own above water. She says, the madness of our society gives you permission to turn away from its doctrines and expectations. While everyone's dropping dead after drinking from the punch bowl, you're allowed to take a pass on the Kool-Aid. When the people are standing in line for the ride and coming out the other end as ground mincemeat, you have permission to jump the fence and go elsewhere. You have permission to reject the doctrines and expectations of your society, your culture, your family. You are not what they told you you are. You do not have to be what they told you you must be. You do not have to become what they told you you must become. She says, life is so very, very much more than the thin layer of mental chatter which makes up our whole society could ever begin to perceive. You are so very, very much more than the doctrines and expectations of our pervasively sick culture and what it could even guess at. Now, you can gather, Caitlin Johnstone isn't exactly coming at this from a constitutional conservative point of view. But I think she's speaking some truth here that everybody really should consider incorporating into their own lives and their own approach to how they square off with the world. You have no obligation to conform. Never forget that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Thank you again for being a part of my audience. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Uh, when I encounter people, I, I love getting feedback from those of you who visit the website, thebrianhydeshow.com. Leave comments on my show notes. Those who share articles with me and, and, and who share their personal journey. I really, I love it because, look, we're all somewhere on that journey. Every one of us is trying to sort out what is truth, what isn't. And it's, it's tough. We've all had to eat our share of mud. I don't care who you are. Nobody was born knowing it all. Um, we all have to pay that price to figure it out. And God bless the people who came before us who were kind enough and wise enough to, to blaze some kind of a trail, to, to leave some breadcrumbs for us to follow so that we could figure out that way without having to, to bang into too many obstacles, you know, as, as we you know, use trial and error. By the way, I also want to thank the people who have, have lent their support to uh, making it possible for me to do this program. I have no illusion that, oh, by, by this program, I'm going to save the world. In fact, if I can just confess here for a moment, the, the purpose behind what I do here um, isn't to fix all of the world's problems, but the approach that I take is, is, I guess, best illustrated by the name of the company under which I do business, and that is With One Voice, LLC. Now, you may be thinking, oh, with your voice, uh, your one voice. Nope. That's not at all what I'm talking about. When I refer to with one voice, I'm referring to those times and places where people come to a realization that there are some things that, that really matter. That matter so much that they're willing to set aside petty differences and little transient disagreements, and they come together that they can speak with one voice. They can cry out to God with one voice. Because those things matter enough. That's what drives what I do here. And I want to thank those of you who, who personally have become patrons of the program and, and have donated. I, I love you and I appreciate that you make it possible for me to do this and to focus my efforts and my energy on, on bringing the best content that I can. I want to thank Alta Bank Mortgage. That's my friend John Staples. If, uh, if you're within the state of Utah and you are looking for a, a home loan or looking to refinance, holy cow, those interest rates right now are super low, and John can get that job done quickly. You'll find a contact link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Hit my friend John up at Alta Bank. You'll be glad you did, and, and he is one of those people. He's one of those sponsors that supports this program. By the way, I've got other sponsors that will be coming on board here. Um, I hope you'll listen close, and I hope you'll do business with them, and you'll, you'll thank them for helping to make this possible. I want to share with you the latest column from Paul Rosenberg. He's been taking on the fallacies that we often encounter as we go about seeking truth. And fallacy number eight is the naturalistic fallacy. This is one I run into all the time. This is an unwarranted connection between is and ought. Now, Paul says there are many versions of it. It's sometimes referred to as the is-ought problem. But he says the version I want to focus on usually appears as a response to a new idea like this. This is obviously the way things are. It's the way they have always been, so your new idea is foolish. 
And he says, what we see here is a strong is statement implying that something that already is and has been for a long time obviously ought to be. Then the new idea is rejected because it differs. Now, the naturalist fallacy is wrong, he says, of course, because the way things are is a horrible standard for judging what's good, better, or best. It stands in opposition to all things new, which means that it's a permanent opponent of progress. Paul Rosenberg says almost every useful thing we have began as a new idea, which could have been rejected precisely because it wasn't the way things had always been. That would have been the case for modern farming, cars, and more or less everything. So the naturalist fallacy, then, is a silly statement. Unfortunately, though, he says it's used all the time and very effectively, as many of us learned when we ran straight into it. Arthur Schopenhauer outlined the typical process in this way. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. So we have a fallacy that's flatly silly. Things being a certain way doesn't at all mean they should always be that way but a fallacy that not only endures but hobbles and attacks the best of us as we create new and better things. So he says this clearly deserves some of our attention. Here's how the trick works. The naturalist fallacy collapses immediately when it confronts reason, which means that its support comes from things other than reason. Really what the naturalist fallacy relies on is the authority of age, That is, it relies on the belief that being old, tried, and true makes things right in some way. This is a very popular concept, even though it's logically wrong. I think slavery actually was defended on those grounds. Well, this is just the way things are. It's the way it's always been. You look at human history. Slavery's always existed. I'm sure there were people who used that. Anyway, back to back to Paul's commentary. He says, Governments, the largest and most feared organizations on this planet, call endlessly upon the fatherland, motherland, the wisdom of the founders, and so on, at great length and over long periods of time. All these are appeals to age, and appeals to geography as well. Now, that may be quite unreasonable, but in the jurisdiction where the idea is held as sacredly true, questioning it can be dangerous. So the naturalist fallacy is very potent, even though implying ought from is remains a ridiculous thing to do. He says, I think that this fallacy gets a lot of power from mental inertia, treating age as a token of validity so many times that our minds are used to it and continue it without examination. But he says, I'm not sure that that has ever been proved. What is certain is that people fall for the trick a lot and sometimes very deeply. It's also clear that the fear of authority has a lot to do with it. As we noted in our coverage of the appeal to authority, humans have weaknesses for both conformity and authority, weaknesses that remain regardless that authority has disgraced itself over and over. Fundamentally, it comes back to fear, and the strongest use of this fallacy, the wise ancient founders, tends to involve organizations capable of violence. Now, that said, this fallacy can also be supported with shame. So here are two ways he used to run into it. So, the world is wrong and you're right. Who are you to say that, you know, such and such is true? He says, in both of these cases, ridicule is being threatened. And ridicule leads to shame, which is rather like a chemical weapon fired directly into a human brain. Now, this fallacy can be used in a high intellectual manner, This has recently become more common, as many smart people have become dependent upon government grants while observing the lunacies of those same governments. And so they come up with history-based or science-based excuses for governments. Here's a couple of examples. 
history has shown the necessity of the monopoly of violence, meaning the state is good. Or, our species includes high-status individuals who don't merely plunder, but attempt to facilitate the common good. We've even, de- we've even developed bottom-up mechanisms for collectively choosing such leaders. In other words, evolution has brought us to democracy. Now, he says, after all the impressive theorizing, however, these things are really just self-soothing statements. The speakers have no idea whether something else would be better, because trying new models of organization is violently forbidden. So here's what to keep in mind. He says, when you encounter the naturalist fallacy that something ought to be simply because it has been, you'll have to make choices about your response. Making your counter-argument too directly may be risky in some cases, but it also may not be effective. Even if the person using the fallacy remains purely peaceful, touching a fear related to authority can cause people to close their minds and stop listening. So the first step in this process is to simply notice the mistaken connection between is and ought. That's not the easiest thing to do when you're being rushed, as in most arguments. But you'll almost certainly experience a feeling that something has gone wrong. That will be your cue to stop and buy yourself a few seconds, as we've noted previously. Once you've obtained a moment or two to consider what sort of argument you're dealing with, then you can proceed. And he says, here's how I would deal with a a sensitive case, such as a false justification for a local ruler. Okay, I'm not saying you're wrong in your conclusion, but I think you're saying the Pasha is legitimate because his... His position has been maintained for generations. However, that's the same argument the ruler right before Pasha could have made. Now he says, but I warn you, there are places on this planet, and especially among people who hold you in suspicion, where such an argument can get you beaten, imprisoned, or killed. So be careful. When dealing with users of violence, and especially those who are easily offended, the best choice is to nod your head and get the hell away. Pointing out the naturalist fallacy can be dangerous. He says, from this we see the depths of psychological attachments, the barbaric nature of power, and the ability of reason to cut like a knife. This is a serious business. So he says, we must use our tools carefully and with benevolence. In the end, our job is to create a benefit in the world, not to prove ourselves right, and certainly not to chop things down. But even while using caution, you should remain clear in your own mind that an is does not imply an ought. A belief that does is illogical, superstitious, and even barbaric. Again, you'll find this linked in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Thank you, Paul Rosenberg. This is The Brian Hyde Show.